What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. On today's show, I get the chance to talk to Vanessa Morgan about her latest book, 71 Essays on Offbeat and Underrated Vampire Movies, and what she loves about vampire movies, past and present. Monsters and cinema have their ups and downs. We've been riding on a wave of zombie movies and media for about 10 years now, which has produced some great and not so great content. However, the other classic monsters aren't having the same level of exposure, which is a real shame. Vampires in particular are having a bit of a rough time. Since the Twilight series, they have struggled to reach a level of horror popularity again. There are still glimmers like the film and TV spin-off, What We Do in the Shadows, but they're not cracking the mainstream anytime soon. That glitter effect is hard to wipe clean. If, however, you are looking to find some vampire movie goodies, the book, Strange Blood, 71 Essays on Offbeat and Underrated Vampire Movies, is an excellent starting point. As it says in the title, this is a collection of 71 essays, curated by Vanessa Morgan, from different people in the movie industry and academia, each providing their thoughts and opinions on a different vampire movie. Also, as you can guess, these aren't all the standard vampire movie fare. Yes, it does cover films that I'm sure you've heard of, for example, From Dust Till Dawn, 30 Days of Night, The Lost Boys and Fright Night. The essays of these choices are interesting, but the real gems are about the movies you have likely not heard about. The Hunger, Kronos and Vamp, as well as a laundry list of films from other parts of the world. The diversity of the writers and movies delivers a thought-provoking and educational experience. I will warn you up front though, some of the essays deal heavily with the film's plot and do give some spoilers. Also, as is the case with any anthology or collection, some entries are stronger than others. The stronger ones provide an insight into the themes and cultural background of the film and creator, adding to the watching experience. At the other end of the spectrum, there are a few that basically document the best parts of the film in a isn't that great way that's more akin to a pub discussion. That aside, the essays have expanded my to-watch list of vampire movies. It's helped me see past the admittedly fun Hammer and Universal vampires to much more interesting, offbeat and challenging films. It also provides reviews and assessment of films from all across Europe and beyond. This is an incredibly extensive collection that will send you to IMDb or Google to learn more. So while the essays vary in quality, does collecting them together provide any overreaching insight? 
if you want to study them, they could do, yes. However, not in the form that is collected in the book. The essays are collected in alphabetical order based on the title of the film that's being discussed. With 71 essays, I think it would have been better to group them in some way, chronologically, geographically, or even by theme. Any of these would have been beneficial and provided a chance at some further overreaching insight. In addition to this, the book does not have an introduction or summary, so there is nothing to tie them together to pull out any overreaching themes or thoughts from the curator. I find this odd. I would have liked to have known why the curator collected these essays or focused on these films. I find that an introduction provides a bit of personal insight that you can carry with you while you read the book. It's a shame, really. Overall, the book is good for those looking to find more from the horror and vampire genre, as well as those that are looking to source different perspectives on movies they already know. 71 Essays on Offbeat and Underrated Vampire Movies is an excellent starting point and can be found on Amazon in paperback and ebook format. Now, let's move on to my discussion with Vanessa Morgan. So welcome to 20th Century Geek. I really appreciate you giving your time. Um, and uh, before before we get into the questions, um, sort of the reason you're here is to discuss your your book, uh, your collection of essays, A Strange Blood. Um, do you want to just give a quick um, overview, a plug for your book to let the folks at home know uh, wh- why they should be reading this book? Um, the idea was to make uh, a book, a collection about uh, vampire movies that are unusual and really offbeat. Um, because many people often have the impression that vampires, that it's always the same, either it's just about a count or a bloodthirsty monster, or maybe even a romantic vampire these last couple of years, and that's it. But there's so much more going on with this subgenre. Um, for instance, uh, in this book you have um, vampire cars or <laughs> vampire dogs, vampire aliens, or even mechan- mechanical objects that are vampires, vampire gorillas, you name it. There's a lot of variety in here. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, like I say, look, you know, looking through these essays, I found that, like, as I sort of said before we started recording, that you know, this isn't your just run-of-the-mill films, as you say. There's some really interesting films in here that I think mm-hmm. will jump onto people's watch lists. Mm-hmm. Um, but to sort of jump into the questions, I mean, vampires are, are, are a... They're, they're usually the, sort of one of the first go-to monsters. They're a classic monster. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they've always been a figure of fear. The first monster to appear in cinema with Nosferatu. They kicked off the universal classic monsters with Dracula. Why do you think that vampire movies have remained and been consistently popular uh, throughout the decades what makes vampires so popular is the fact that this subgenre is so diverse um like i said before just not it's not only the aristocratic counts or the monsters 
um, use really something for everyone here. You have, for, for example, vampire porn. You have art films with vampires. You have sci-fi movies with vampires, teenage love stories with vampires, kung fu movies with vampires. You name it, it's really a vampire movie for everyone. Yeah, and I think that's isn't it? That these sort of they, they take so many forms, and also I think like you say the form is although you know I think really I've sort of spoken from a from a, a position of horror, um, as you've said, it's sort of you know they there's elements of they've been used for comedy, they've been used for romance, they've been used for um, allegory and all these other things. So they really are a versatile monster to be used in cinema. Um, and I think that's the sort of the, the, it's not just the films that are so diverse. I, I was quite impressed, and I really enjoyed the fact that, um, like I said, the essays in the book approach uh, each of the films in a different way and from a variety of different angles. Um, so, do, you know, do you think this really represents how um, many people sort of interpret them in different ways, how they can be enjoyed in different ways? And was that something else you wanted to get across uh, with the different essays? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um... Each film, and not just vampire film, but really each film can be interpreted and enjoyed in such a variety of ways. You can show the same film to 10 people and each of them will have a different opinion and a different experience with that film. Um, the writers in Strange Blood are not just film critics, but they're also film directors, horror novel writers, film festival programmers, academics and distributors. And this has often an impact on how a film is approached in the essay and I think that's what makes a collection like Strange Blood interesting in my opinion you don't have the opinion of just one writer but you have all these different views and interpretations from a variety of different backgrounds as well yeah I agree I think you know there's some films that you can approach in uh, and you can read so much from and I think like you say even um, I'm trying to think, so I think a good one for me that I always sort of I, I really enjoy both the original and to an extent the remake is let the right one in um and it's one of those films that also having read the book um you can take so much from that depending on what your own perspective is uh and almost who you see as the protagonist or who you see as your you know point of view character in that story um yeah. I, I think that's so true that you know you, your story can your story can can obviously affect how you read that story um, and I really took that from the essays, which is which is a, a real bonus. Um, but I mean, not just the essays. Obviously, if we talk about the films, um, the book highlights vampire movies from all over the world. I mean, these aren't, as you said, these are your sort of more obscure and unusual ones. Um, so, do you think that you know the legend and the character, whether it be of Dracula or sort of uh, a, a vampire? You know they have different connotations from different different countries, and so how do you think that that affects the film? You know the output, the sort of the objective of those films. This is a really interesting question. Um, what's remarkable is that the vampire myth exists all over the world, but the mm. vampires they look extremely different depending on the country you're in. In Indonesia, for example, the vampire the vampire is called the leak, and it's a floating head. Oh, and then there's the Aswan from the Philippines, which is a creature with an extremely long tongue and an, an appetite for fetuses. And a friend of mine, he has a wife who's from the Philippines. And when I told her I watched a film about Aswangs, she became pale and muttered, please don't mention the Aswang. 
And I asked her, why not? And she said, because I've seen the Aswang, she's real. Wow. So that's really interesting, I think. And what's also interesting is that many vampire films highlight political and sociological aspects that are typical for each country. Uh, Kronos from Mexico or Shiwu from Poland, for example, are very, very different in that regard. And these films could never have been made in another country. Um, because its culture is so ingrained in these stories. And sometimes as an outsider, you don't even notice that. Um, David Cronenberg's Rabbit, for example, uh, that film can be seen as a metaphor for the October crisis of 1970, in which the Front de Libération du Québec demanded independence from the rest of Canada. But only people from Canada will know this and will notice uh, this aspect about this vampire film. Uh, that's a really good example because I think that's the you know I think um, like you say the, the the sort of the social background that those characters come from, but obviously the filmmakers come back from it have such a such an impact on it, and I I, I love to know those things. Like I say this has been an, an insight to be able to read and watch, especially some of the films that you you like you say I've seen or haven't seen, and, and there's more detail to pull out that really enriches not just the viewing experience, but then the knowledge of sort of like where these stories are coming from. Uh, I'm fascinated by the the Philippines story that that sort of uh, the different mythology that each of these sort of takes. But the, like you say, they set, they center around a, a principal myth of uh, you know vampirism, um, and I love the fact as well. You mentioned the, like, the fact that they do represent they or they can be used as a form of allegory. I mean, um, for the last sort of oh, it's, it's probably been off and on and off really since the sixties, since Night of the Living Dead. This notion that, that zombies, you know, the zombie sort of uh, genre has been used as an allegory. But, you know, your book highlights, and also I think really it's, it's clear that sort of vampire films get used as an allegory for all kinds of things, you know, sex, drug addiction, there's the HIV scare during the 80s. Um, you know, and do you think, you know, these elements, do you think they get enough attention and enough sort of praise um, as a sort of, you know, as really having something to say about society? I think so, yeah, especially with films like uh, The Addiction and Habit, for example. But the only difference is that these films, uh, the films that openly, openly link vampires to drugs, HIV or sex addiction, uh, aren't as widely popular as George Romero's politically influenced zombie films, for example. Mm. Um, but that being said, the need for blood in itself is addictive. So you don't really need the reference to drugs or sex to talk about addiction when it comes to the vampire subgenre. Yeah, I think. I mean, you mentioned sort of uh, some of the ones you mentioned. Obviously, obviously the, the, the popularity of sort of um, Romero zombie films, but I think even even some of the ones that um, I, I think Vamp, for example, for me, I, I, I really it's, it's a really campy sort of you know sort of eighties style neon. Um, vampire film mm -hmm. but the idea of um grace jones uh is, is really the primary vampire but the fact she's a stripper and you know it's, it's um almost like a queen of her sort of her um, small empire but there's that sen sexual connotations of her having the power of the people with the stripper and they're always tied to that thing and i said you know they can always give that message and that sort of that that reading is in there, even in the sort of the, like you say the campiest and the silliest of films, um, yeah. alongside ones like The Hunger and The Addiction and that sort of thing. So, 
yeah, I think there's sort of... But that leads into really sort of my next question is, you know, all your essays cover what's come before and, and lead out some of the, the great films. Um, but vampires are in an, an interesting position at the moment. I think they've sort of, for want of a better phrase, they've lost their teeth. Um, what, what do you think is the future of, of sort of vampires in cinema and in horror, the horror genre? Um, from what I see, filmmakers are slowly, very slowly going back to making vampires scary again. And I'm really glad that romantic vampires for, teenager, for teenagers are losing ground. They're still there, mm. but there's definitely a shift happening. And of course, I'm still hoping that one day a talented filmmaker will be making a new groundbreaking vampire film that will change the face of vampire horror for decades to come. But who knows what that will be? Yeah, that's it. Well, I think, you know, every now and then you get those independent films that, you know, um, especially in horror, this sort of thing with, with elevated horror, um, films like uh, The Endless, Hereditary, uh, the new Suspiria remake, Mm-hmm. Where, they, where they really are allowing sort of creative directors to push the bounds that hopefully you're right there'll be something that like does um raise the bar and goes in new directions i think for for vampire cinema and it'll probably hopefully have something to say about modern culture as well because we are in a very different world um you know to how what where we were when stoker wrote dracula and uh, you know, Christopher Lee was first Dracula in for the Hammer. It's a very different world, so I'd be interested to see how it can be changed for that. Yeah, 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 indeed, indeed. So, obviously, your your book covers almost well, seventy plus seventy two, uh, uh, seventy one, seventy one uh, different films. But if you were to sort of you know have someone, I suppose like myself, really, like, as a bit of a novice to the vampire. Um, oeuvre what what would you say would be a starting point for them to really get the best out of um the the genre but these vampire films for them to really see what can be done with this with this character um i would say start with the classics like george romero's martin because Mm. it's a vampire movie without any actual vampires or David Cronenberg's Rabbit, thanks to its ingenious armpit stinger, among other things that make it so original. Or Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. Oh, I love that film. That never even mentions the word vampire. Mm. And it's also a mix of genre, uh, of genres. Or also Guillermo del Toro's Kronos, where the main vampire is a mechanical object. I think these ones are really good ones to start to discover the vampire genre and everything that it can be. Yeah, and I think Near Dark is one of my favourite vampire films. I think I think it's it's near near dark, near perfect for me. I think I I came across it when I was quite young, and it really uh, made an impact. Um, I, yeah, I highly recommend that film. I think it's fantastic, and Kronos as well. I watched Kronos recently actually, and uh, I was I was really impressed with that. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I hope I gave you another way to view the film with the essay. Yes, well, I've had to, I'm going to go back and watch it again. Actually, it's one of the, I, 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 I purchased a Guillermo del Toro uh, box set because I, I, I've missed some of his classics, so Kronos and the Devil's Backbone. And um, so, having read the the the, the essay now, I, I want to go back again and experience it again because I think it's a it's a film worth with you know is worth repeat viewing uh, with with more information. So, no, I appreciate that. So much going on in that 
that in that film. It seems really simple, mm. but there's so much going on. Yeah, and I think with Del Toro, I think he's one of those those filmmakers that you know he is able to layer his films, and you can you you can get something new um, from each of your viewings. And also, like I said, as we said, from from a different background, if you share his Mexican, you know, his sort of uh, Hispanic heritage, then I'm sure there's more to it, you know, from that perspective as well. So, yeah, I think he's excellent. Um, but, but, you know, you, we've recommended those as sort of to a novice, but from really from your perspective, what's your favourite vampire films? What are your go-tos? Whether, you know, whether that be a guilty pleasure or, you know, the one that really stands out for you? Okay, my absolute favourite one is Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And that has been my favorite horror film for more than 10 years now, because I think it's, it really masters atmosphere like no other film. Um, and then, of course, I have a few other favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Salem Slots, mm-hmm. Night Owl, I really love, uh, and also David Cronenberg's Rabbit. And, of course, I, I can't forget uh, films of Jean Rollin and Jess Franco. Yeah, I think, you know, it's... Uh... <laughs> I think the the one I say the the one problem with this book that is that um, I think my watch list has increased quite quite dramatically. So uh, I'm gonna have to get some time to catch up on some of these. And the the ones you've recommended are definitely gonna be the top of that list. Uh-huh. Um, so really, you know, well, you know, I think we've given people a great insight into sort of the the vampire uh, genre and, and this and for your book, but. Um, Really, you know, you've said why it inspired you, but is there uh, any of the essays, the last question is, any of the essays that you think um, in particular sort of, you know, you think capture not just the film, but probably a feel for the wider sort of vampire genre or the vampire sort of, um, i say the genre in general? I think that's a bit difficult to answer because I think it would discredit some of the other writers. Mm-hmm. I think every essay that's in there, it, it, it says a lot about either the film or the, the genre in general. Um, and yeah, it really depends because what, what I really love are um, the essays about the foreign films, such as the Philippine and the Indonesian ones or the Polish uh, films. Because I think these are really surprising. Um, I think if I would have just made a book for myself, I would have made just a book with very obscure films that no one knows about. (laughs) But of course, I have to think about the audience as well. And the audience asks also some information about, um, yeah, some of the the better known movies. Mm. No, true. It's very true. That's a very good point. Uh, so, where where can people get their grubby little mitts on your book? Then, where is it available? Uh, it's available a little bit everywhere, but I think one of the best places uh, and cheapest places to find it is Amazon. So, and so available both as paperback and as an ebook. Okay. And as an ebook, it's also uh, available to read for free on Kindle Unlimited. So that's a plus. I will put a link to that in the, in the show notes for the show. But there's something I should mention. Mm-hmm. If you read the Kindle version, it's without pictures. And the paperback has lots of pictures. Yes, I can actually... It's obviously, uh, Vanessa has shared a copy of the book with me. And the, the pictures in the book are fantastic as well. So there's a, there's, it's a, 
it adds to the richness of the book. So I really do recommend that sort of if you want to get a hard copy of it, it's uh, it's definitely worth doing. Um, okay, yes, yeah, so I'll I'll put a note in the show notes for a link to that so people can find that on Amazon. Um, okay, is it is it? So that's it. I think that's a fantastic conversation. I think we've got a great insight into your book. Is there anything else you'd like to to sort of um, highlight or mention to the audience to let them know? Um, anything else about your book or about the vampire films or anything else that you're working on at the moment? Um, yeah, I'm working on, well, not, not really working on yet. I'm mainly working on the promotion of this <laughs> book right now, but I have several ideas for, uh, other movie books in mind. And so I'm probably going to start the next one really, really soon. Excellent. I look forward to seeing what those are. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you very much, Vanessa. I really appreciate your time. And, um, Hopefully, you know, in the future you can let us know what those books are and we can come on again and talk about a different monster or a different uh, horror genre. Okay, we definitely will. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. sign out i want to go through my favorite vampire movies from the 20th century i'm not saying these are the best just my favorite the ones i go back to so let's go through them in chronological release order let's start with dracula from 1931 for most this is the film that started it all the first installment of universal's classic monster movies however I came to this rather late, having only watched it for the first time in the last five years. The first telling of the Stoker story for me was the Coppella version from 1992, which, while a lavish telling of the story, never really struck a chord with me. The 1931 edition, however, is wonderful. I love the stage-type acting from the cast, especially like Bella Lugosi's intensity and Dwight Fry's insane acting. The film is loaded with the romanticism of the golden age of cinema and the glamour of the cast. It's a wonderful time capsule for early cinema as well as an entertaining flick. It should be a touchstone for any vampire enthusiast. Jumping forward 50 years to the 80s, we have Fright Night from 1985. Set up like a teen horror movie with charming and debonair vampire played by Chris Sarandon, moving in next door to a teenager, Charlie Brewster. However, director Tom Holland brings some fantastic horror moments that push the boundaries of teen horror. Sarandon is fantastic, both charming yet wonderfully sinister. The counter to Sarandon is Roddy McDowell as Peter Vincent, a movie vampire killer who is cajoled into helping battle the neighbourhood creature of the night. He brings a warmth and integrity to the role. In a scene in which he is forced to kill a teenager who had been turned, he shows fear, repulsion and pity all in an instant. Fright Night is a staple of 80s horror and stands up 30 plus years later. Two years later, Near Dark was released. A much darker take on the modern vampire myth, directed by the excellent 
Catherine Bigelow. It's a fantastic counter to the camp Fright Night. The vampires in this are truly terrifying and wonderfully cast. Lance Henriksen, Jeanette Goldstein and Bill Paxton are so watchable, charismatic, enigmatic but scary. To me, this is akin to Scott Snyder's American Vampire in injecting Americana into a European myth and doing it really well. This is a dark, modern horror western that should be revisited by more people. Next, a vampire movie written by Quentin Tarantino and directed by Robert Rodriguez in the mid-90s you're damn right from Dust Till Dawn is on my list. The film is grindhouse pulp at its best. The characters are pretty thin and the plot is ridiculous, but the film is amazing fun. Everyone in the cast is fully committed and their sincerity pulls me along on the ride. And it's a hell of a ride. Starting as a crime road movie with brothers Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney. If you didn't know where this was going, you wouldn't guess. It catapults to the coolest seedy bar in movie history and as soon as they step over the threshold it takes a left turn brilliantly. Finally, let's talk about Blade in 1998. What kind of nerd would I be if I didn't have a comic based movie on this list? I remember Blade coming out. The word and excitement going around at the time was that this is going to be an 18 and they were going to go all out on the gore. Wesley Snipes is perfect in the role. A kick-ass dark hero defending humanity that would not accept him as one of their own. The film's opening scene in a vampire nightclub is enough to sell the film. I accept that the ending gets a bit daft and suffers from some terrible CGI, but overall this is a great action-packed film and should be remembered as not just a cracking vampire movie but as another foundation stone in the Marvel Studios empire. Okay ladies and gentlemen the sun is about to rise and the coffin is calling so let's wrap up there shall we? If you have any thoughts about vampire movies or want to share your favourite vampire movie please get in contact. Remember, you can contact me at 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com or find me on the social media platforms at 20thCenturyGeek on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram and reach out. Let me know. Speak to me out there. And if you want to support us, there are several great ways in which you can do that. The simplest and most one I appreciate is go onto your podcast catcher and leave a review. Leave a five-star review and tell us why you love the show. But if you want to help more, we have a Patreon page, and on there we have regular monthly updates. On a regular basis, I go on there and I will review films that probably don't have the best reputation. And I'll ask the question, is it really that bad? And we also have a monthly show in which I sit down with my non-nerdy wife, Alex, to discuss some form of nerdy nostalgia. She's recently watched uh, Batman 66 and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We're not sure what's coming next, but it's excellent fun every time. And more than that, we have an Amazon wish list. If you go on there, there are so many things that you could buy and send our way that helps with the research for the show. And don't forget, we love second-hand books in 20th Century Towers. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've had a good time listening to this. I'll see you again 
soon. Mm -hmm.